Welcome to the Why They Are So Angry podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Carol Francois, a proud baby boomer with over 30 years experience as an educator and learning leader. And I'm Courtney Square, your resident first generation millennial. Join us as we present an unvarnished look at systemic racism in America throughout history and up to modern times. We invite you to pull up a chair, put in your earbuds, and allow us to enlighten, educate, and explore the real reasons why Black African Americans are so angry. Because until you know the whole history, it isn't American history at all. Hey, you know, Courtney, I bet our listeners have some household chores they really don't like doing. What's something you don't like doing around the house? And Carol, if it is one chore that I hate doing, it's the dishes. And the worst part about the dishes is the more you avoid them, there will be more to do. And since (laughs) I live in an older home, I don't have a dishwasher. I am the dishwasher. Oh, yes. I know how those uh, dishes, they just multiply by like rabbits. It's like little elves are coming in and dropping stuff in the sink. But um, (laughs) my favorite is, uh, or I should say my least favorite chore is doing the laundry. I really, really hate that. And luckily, I'm married to someone who doesn't mind doing the laundry. But Be that as it may, when I was growing up, my mother had the luxury of using a laundry service to launder my father's white shirts. And he had to wear those when he was the maitre d' at a country club. Now, my mom was pretty slick. She sometimes, in fact, all the time, would slip our white bed sheets into the order every week. So I actually grew up on freshly laundered and ironed sheets on my bed. Ooh, fancy. <laughs> yeah, I'll tell you, I didn't have any idea how rare that was for a Black family to use such a service. I, I don't even do that today. But after the Civil War and well into the 20th century, White households regularly use the services of washerwomen to, no pun intended, handle their dirty laundry. And since most of the women who did this work were Black, I am sure I can bet my bottom dollar that systemic racism is going to play a part in that work. Well, your bottom dollar was bet well, because um, you're right, my dear niece. Our podcast is all about how systemic racism, in other words, policies, practices, and procedures, disadvantage Black folks. So it was no different in the laundry industry back way back in history. You know, I never thought about how doing the laundry could somehow be connected to systemic racism. But when you look at the way that Black washerwomen were treated and paid back in the day, you definitely will see that connection. Yes, you're right. Before the advent of automatic washers and dryers, doing laundry was really backbreaking work. Women who did it were barely paid subsistence wages for this basically thankless task. Now, the theme of Black History Month in 2023 is the importance of Black resistance. So I think you have a story about a group of Black women who resisted being marginalized and pushed back against Uh, the poor pay they were getting and the racist practices that were aimed against them. 
You know what? I love this year's theme of Black resistance, Aunt Carol. And yes, I do have a story that fits this theme very well. Now, today I'm going to be talking about the washerwomen in Mississippi, Jackson, Mississippi, and Atlanta, Georgia, and how they resisted, organized, and fought back against the system to get better pay for the job that they did and the respect they deserve. Now, starting in Mississippi, like most Southern states, it has never taken kindly to organized labor efforts. But it's a little known surprising fact that in 1866, the Black washerwomen of Jackson formed Mississippi's first labor union. First union ever, Black or white. Oh, and talk about history. That is amazing. And especially they, in a, a Mississippi, who. I know they were some trailblazers. And since at that time, Blacks in Mississippi have turned to labor unions and labor organizing to demand better treatment and working conditions. Get this, Black labor unrest in Mississippi went all the way back to slavery. Hmm. Now, some Mississippi historians, as well as formerly enslaved people, tell about instances when the enslaved would run off into the woods and demand better treatment from their overseers. Resistance. Now, women in particular in Mississippi were sometimes described as harder to manage than the men. Now, Annie Coley, an enslaved woman, described a struggle on a plantation in which a woman threatened to burn the overseer because he treated her and the other slaves so badly. And then she went into the woods and hid until the plantation owner sent that overseer away. Okay, so labor rose up and (laughs) unpaid labor rose up, but still they rose up and the overseer got kicked out. And that kind of flies in the face where people were like, well, you know, they treated the slaves like family. If I have to threaten to burn you and then run into the woods to get you to act right as a slave, you are not treating anybody like family. Not at all. Now, of course, before desegregation, many white-led unions refused to admit Black members of any gender, male or female. Not to be deterred, Black women labor leaders decided to take matters into their own hands and formed their own organizations within the industries that they worked and had the highest numbers and therefore held the most power. So women power in the labor unions. I like that. Exactly. And that's just what happened in 1866 when a group of newly emancipated Black women working as washerwomen in Jackson, Mississippi, united and sent a resolution to the mayor informing him that they would henceforth be charging a uniform rate for their labor. Now, at that time, the washerwomen's wages were kept so low that even poor white families could afford to send their laundry out to a Black woman to clean. And if you remember our last episode about Rosewood, that is what uh, the the family, the Black family did that their house got burned. One of the main families that were attacked, that mother was a washerwoman. So that's a connection there. Yeah, it all ties in. All righty. So these women got together and sent a message to the mayor. And what did it say? And that that message to the mayor said that any washerwoman who charges less will be fined by our group. 
We do not want to charge high prices. We just want to be able to live and live comfortably from our work. So they were putting the press on like, hey, if you're a washerwoman and you're not down with us, we're going to find you if you're working for less because we just want a living wage for all of us. So don't try to undercut your homegirls. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they had a plan. I like this too. All right. What was what happened next? Now, the prices they agreed upon were far from exorbitant. They were $1.50 per day for washerwomen washing, $15 a month for a family washing, and $10 a month for the washing of single people's clothes. And they signed the letter, the Washerwomen of Jackson. There you have it. They threw down the gauntlet. Exactly. Now, newspaper writers called the washerwomen stupid and they predicted that they would fail. They also claimed that the strike had been planned by northern white male agitators like they really cared. (laughs) Or, hey, here's the deal. Obviously, these black women couldn't be smart enough to organize themselves. So it must have been men from the north and white people. Okay, I get it. Yeah. Unfortunately, there's no record of how the strike ended, but the washerwomen's defiance made a big impact, a ripple effect, if you will, Hmm. in Jackson and farther afield. From 1865 to 1877, Black workers rose up and went on strike in Virginia, Tennessee, Alabama, Georgia, Louisiana, South Carolina, and Washington, D.C., So those women kicked off a movement. That's amazing. 1866, amazing. Now, two decades later, the Mississippi strike influenced the washerwomen of Atlanta, Georgia. Not the housewives of Atlanta. Atlanta. Not the housewives, not loving hip hop Atlanta, the the washerwomen of Atlanta. And these are some pretty, pretty amazing women. Now, by 1881 in Atlanta, 98% of Black working women in the city were employed as domestic workers, which included washerwomen. Think of it this way, and Carol, these domestics, particularly the washerwomen, would be considered essential workers today. They were on the front lines doing critical work that kept the city running, much like the sanitation workers and truck drivers um, during the pandemic. We were praising those people on the front lines. These washerwomen are right in that lineage. Now, doing laundry for wealthy, middle class, and even poor white families across Atlanta was tough. The women had to make their own soap from scratch. They had to build wash tubs out of old beer barrels, and they had to collect the garments, haul the water, do the ironing, seven days a week. I mean, even God rested on the seventh day, but these women were out there working. It makes me tired just listening to all they had to do. Now, this strenuous work earned the washerwomen as little as four to eight dollars a month. And employers were known to reduce their wages or even refuse to pay if the washerwoman's skirts were muddy or marked up when they dropped off the laundry. So after seven days doing laundry, I throw on some clothes, I run to your laundry, you're not even going to pay me because the bottom of my skirt is dirty. Mm not a good way to live. Now, fed up with the bad pay, the washerwomen organized the Atlanta washerwoman strike and demanded fixed wages. None of these up and down, you pay me how you feel or you pay me based on how I'm dressed. They wanted standard wages. And they were inspired by the Black women who formed Mississippi's first labor union. So the ladies that we talked about earlier, the women in Atlanta were inspired by them and said, hey, if they can do it, we can do it too. 
So the the washerwomen of Atlanta met at a church on July 19th, 1881, and began to strike for their higher wages and dignity in their work. Now, these women were not just washerwomen. They had been, they had keen organizing skills and some political savvy. They had worked as Republican Party activists. They were members of women's groups, secret societies. They organized events at their churches, and they networked within their neighborhoods. So and they, basically, this wasn't just a group of washerwomen and that's all they did. They were smart and savvy and knew how to gather people behind a cause. They were they were influencers and in entrepreneurs. They were hustlers and they were going to mm. use every bit of skill that they had to get what they deserved. Now, they used all those skills to canvas neighborhoods, building support and power for their strike. They even invited the white washerwomen of Atlanta to join their strike, as well as hotel waiters, cooks, maids, child nurses, and non-washing women of Atlanta. And this show of interracial solidarity was very historic at the time. It wasn't just, hey, this is for Black people only. We want all the washerwomen to get what they deserve. And some people from other industries as well. So they were smart. Just, you know, it's always safety in numbers. Now, ironically, newspapers declined to print the white women's names to protect their privacy. So we know. So these were the white women who joined the strike, right? Yes. The white women who joined the strike. um, Of course, there's going to be we all know there's going to be a smear campaign and these women are not going to be painted as the entrepreneurs that we know them now. But to protect the white women who joined them, they were there were never printed in the newspaper as helping or being involved. Now, like I said, you can already guessed that this this courtesy was not extended to the black strikers and their names were often widely publicized in the newspaper um, white newspapers criticized and ridiculed the strikers and the atlanta constitution nicknamed them the washing washing amazons okay so let's let's try to paint them as really horrible scary women and that just goes to show that that person doesn't understand that the amazons are like warrior women so that was like it really wasn't an insult not at all (laughs) all. the washer probably said i'll take it i'll be an amazon i'll be an amazon that's fine with me now eventually the washing women's union grew from only 20 members to over three thousand in three weeks now their demands one dollar per dozen pounds of laundry and a city license to protect all laundresses wages Okay, that sounds fair enough. Better pay and protection for that pay. Pretty simple. Now, white employers accustomed to free slave labor were shocked and appalled when the Black workers uh, exercised their rights as free wage-earning people or dared to engage in small acts of resistance against mistreatment. Like, how dare you? I'm already paying you pennies. Like, how dare you want a, a, a living wage and not live in squalor? Oh, my goodness. But that strike that swept over Atlanta, it hit it like a tub of dirty laundry water. When washerwomen began returning soiled or still wet laundry to clients. So they were not playing around. We are on strike. Don't bring me your nasty laundry. I'm going to give it to you right back. Now, they did this often to clients, especially ones who refused to pay the higher wage that they were demanding, and white employers had to scramble to find workers to fill the laundry gap as they feared the strike would spread into 
other industries. And we said that it did. Black waiters in the National Hotel downtown in Atlanta refused to work until their bosses raised their wages and they won. And that scene repeated itself in kitchens, nurseries, and hotels across the city. So the the inspiration of the washerwomen is spreading everywhere to where Black people are working. They are demanding higher wages. Okay, again, like those frontline workers, when you start uh, taking away those services, people, that really can hurt folks. So the washerwomen had it going on. Now, a week into the strike, the Atlanta Constitution reported on this. This is what it's coming from the paper. On July 26th, the washerwomen's strike is assuming vast proportions and despite the apparent independence of white people, is causing quite an inconvenience among our citizens. There are some families in Atlanta who have been unable to have any washing done for more than two weeks. Not only the washerwomen, but the cooks, house servants, and nurses are all asking for increases. So this was news. They were really talking about people just being in uproar because people were asking for a living wage. Well, you know, Courtney, this reminds me of a play called Day of Absence in which uh, it's kind of a fantasy in which all the Black people disappear from a Southern town and everything, all hell breaks loose because there's nobody to take care of the kids. There's nobody doing the laundry. There's nobody driving uh, driving Miss Daisy. Uh, so yeah, these women had figured it out. I, I love their savvy. So what happened next? Now, businesses, of course, fought to break the strike. White families tried to hire strike breakers. Landlords raised striking tenants rent. And the police harassed, fined, and arrested members of the Washerwomen's Union. Even the city council gave tax breaks to industrial laundromats to make the washerwomen obsolete. Now, Aunt Carol, Atlanta was in an uproar that has never been seen before. And it's all because of some dirty laundry. So when we get back, I'm going to let you know how the women made out. Okay. Well, it's ironic. Uh, systemic racism is about dirty laundry. So we've got it uh, literally and figuratively here. Now, Gordy, my mother always told me it's not a good idea to let laundry pile up. So these washerwomen were proving it right. Atlanta, right now, the way you've described it, they were in quite a pickle. So when we come back, I can't wait to hear how this comes out in the wash, so to speak. Want to learn more about systemic racism? Or maybe you want to leave us a comment, rate our show, subscribe, get lots of swag, or reach out to us on social media. Well, you can. Go to our website, www.podpage.com, Why Are They So Angry, and connect with Courtney and me. You can even sign up to take our course, Systemic Racism, See It, Say It, Confront It. All that waiting for you at www.podpage.com, Why Are They So Angry. See you there. All righty, Courtney, we're back. And when we left off, things were in pretty bad shape in Atlanta because those washerwomen had thrown down the gauntlet, or should I say the dirty towel, and uh, they came good on their strike. What happened next? Well, before the break, we talked about how the washerwomen of Atlanta had started to make good on their strike. Like you said, dirty laundry was piling up everywhere, and city leaders were trying all kinds of tricks to break the strike. 
Now, finally, things got so bad that somebody called the cops. Uh, Law enforcement got involved. Ten days into the strike, the police arrested six of the union's leaders, Matilda Crawford, Sally Bell, Carrie Jones, Dora Jones, Ophelia Turner, and Sarah A. Collier. They were all uh, sarcastically described in the press as ebony-hued damsels. Wow. Okay. Well, we go from Amazon to ebony-hued damsels. And they were all slapped with charges of disorderly conduct and quarreling because they had been doing their home visit campaign. Now, five of the women were fined $5 each, but Collier, Collier, Sarah A. Collier, was ordered to pay a $20 fine. Now, she refused to pay it. So the 49-year-old was sentenced to work on a chain gang for 40 days, even though she had asthma and was the mother of two children. Oh, wow. That's just one step up from slavery. So pretty much. Now, things came to a head in August, months before all the important uh, international cotton expo business or like a version of the World's Fair would bring thousands of visitors to Atlanta. Now, the thought of hotels and restaurants without clean laundry seemed unattainable at this crucial time for the city. But undaunted by police intimidation and economic pressure from local white businesses, the Washington Society or the Washerwomen's Union threw down the gauntlet and they sent a letter to the mayor on August 1st saying the following. Dear sir, we, the members of our society, are determined to stand to our pledge and make extra charges for washing. And we have agreed and are willing to pay $25 or $50 for licenses as a protection so that we can control the washing for the city. We can afford to pay these licenses and we'll do it before we will be defeated. And then we will have full control of the city's washing at our own prices, as the city has control of our husband's work at their prices. Don't forget this. We hope to hear from your council Tuesday morning. We mean business this week or no washing. Yours respectfully from five societies, 486 members. (laughs) I'm telling you, I would love to be in a time machine (laughs) to travel back and meet these women. They've got guts. I I love it. I love it. Talk about don't forget this. (laughs) <laughs> I like it or else you need to get, I need my money on time Tuesday Tuesday <laughs> they must be listening to Rihanna's song <laughs> yes have, and it's that's one of my favorite Rihanna songs and that is exactly what this means I have you guys have have our money by Tuesday or once again <laughs> you're going to be wearing dirty underwear to work <laughs> <laughs> All righty. So how did that go over? The Washington Society, they like in their letter, they threatened to escalate the general strike of domestic workers in the city during the expo if the employers did not meet their demands. And that was the straw that broke the camel's back. Okay, so let me understand this. What what they're saying is not only are we going to be striking during the expo, but all the other laborers like the hotel folks and nurses and uh, all those folks who give essential services. Exactly. And the World's Fair was 
come in the Cotton Expo. So they're like, oh my goodness, just imagine going to a hotel and your sheets, not not only your sheets aren't changed, you're sleeping on the, the sheets of the last guest. <laughs> so they didn't want that. Now the city uh, council countered by threatening members of the Washerwomen's organization with having to pay an annual fee of $25 and then offered a nonprofit uh, tax status to businesses who wanted to start commercial laundries but the women said in their letter we don't mind paying mm-hmm, license mm-hmm, we just mm-hmm. want to control who does the laundry now even though the 25 dollars fee would mean several months of wages the strikers were not discouraged instead the washerwomen like we said wrote that letter to mayor jim english and said we have the cash you don't think that we do but we have the cash run us our money on Tuesday morning, Jim. So that did the trick. Atlanta City Council backed down. And while history is murky on the resolution, it appears that the workers had successfully shifted the balance of power and got their demands. Go women, go women, women power. Exactly. They won the fight. The resolve of the striking washerwomen, despite arrests and fines and proposed fees, they inspired other domestic workers. Like we said, cooks, maids, and nurses, and our hotel worker friends, all of them were demanding higher wages. So in the end, their strike not only raised wages for them, it forced the white establishment to acknowledge that Black women workers who were former slaves were not invisible. Well, there we have it. I'll tell you, Courtney, the determination of those Black women in the faces of Black codes and power structure of the Old South, it was really courageous. Uh, And like we said, they were the COVID-19 essential workers of their day. And they stepped up and said, give us the money because we know we're important. So, Aunt Carol, like we usually do, let's bring the story into the present. What's the situation with laundry workers, unions, and labor organizing in general today? Are people still fighting for the respect they deserve and decent pay, like the washerwomen in Mississippi and Atlanta in the 1800s? Well, sadly, Courtney, yes, they are. Um, Dr. Vera Miller's statement before Congress way back in 1949 is still true today. Laundry workers, she said, have been among the most exploited of all groups of workers. They are unprotected by the Fair Labor Standards Act, and they have been afforded little protection by existing state legislation. So Almost, uh, you know, 70 years after that washerwoman strike in Atlanta and in Mississippi in 1949, Dr. Uh, Miller was describing the same kinds of situations. New York City actually is a very good example of how laundry workers are still being exploited. According to a 2018 Laundry Workers Center report, 79% of workers in the survey were immigrants and 86% were female, like the uh, washerwomen. Most of the the folks in this, this industry are women. Now, it's largely undocumented and a non-English speaking workforce. So the, the industry actually has a... Um, an advantage over these people because they don't speak English and they probably don't know their rights. Um, Now, back to the business about what was going on in New York at the height of the COVID-19 pandemic in New York, laundry workers 
protested their low wages and said they've endured oppressive labor conditions long before the pandemic, in spite of being deemed essential workers by the governor at that time. And in November of 2020, workers at Lyax Laundry, much like the Mississippi and Atlanta washerwomen, they sent a letter to management accusing the company of violating basic labor rights and demanding the end of what they call wage theft and demanding better working conditions. Now, much like the washerwomen back in 1881 and so on, in 19, uh, I'm sorry, in 2021, the Lyax Laundry chain fired six women workers at the wash supply laundromat in Manhattan's Upper West Side after they all had voted to unionize. And um, the reason that they had voted to unionize is because they said that their their employer didn't provide PPE, you know, the protective uh, equipment that they needed to do their work. Now, the Laundry Workers Center, though, has organized rallies and marchers uh, in front of the LIAC storefronts, and social activists are now supporting unionization by connecting, like those washerwomen back in the 1800s, uh, connecting Black Amazon workers in Alabama, laundromat workers in New York City through Zoom, and uh, they're basically uh, gathering up steam among a lot of different worker groups in order to uh, bring pressure for better working conditions and pay. So we'll hear more about how the workers from various industries are, and businesses are connecting in a little bit. So the legacy of the washerwomen, uh, the washing Amazons are still alive. <laughs> and I love that name. Now I hear Phoenix, Arizona is also having similar labor unrest amongst laundry workers. They are indeed. Daisy Pitkin and Alma Gomez Gar Garcia have been leading a five-year campaign to bring a union to the dangerous industry laundry factories in Phoenix. Now, in Phoenix, at those factories, washers wash hospital, hotel, and restaurant linens, and they face really harsh conditions, Courtney. A lot of times they're exposed to biohazardous waste. Uh, sometimes they're injured when there are surgical tools left in the hospital sheets. Oh, no. I know. It's, I, I, can you imagine? I, I just, it's beyond me. And uh, oftentimes they get burned uh, from overheated mach uh, machinery. And Pitkin and Garcia, they have risked their livelihoods to join the unionization effort uh, to uh, try to help their fellow workers take a stand. Now, wasn't there also a rally in June in 2022 calling for better pay for laundry workers? Yep, you're right, Courtney. Laundry workers in uh, from California and Arizona who say they're struggling to get by on poverty uh, wages, they rallied in June 22. Uh, 2022 to get their message out. And again, like the Mississippi and Atlanta washerwomen, they delivered letters to the general managers at more than 70 laundries, including Aramark Uniform Services, Mission Lin Linen, Croft Hall Healthcare and Domestic U uh, Uniform Rental, and other groups demanding higher pay. Now, labor struggles like these require negotiating and a level of gamesmanship. So we'll have to wait and see what the outcome of these rallies and unionizing efforts bring out. 
But one thing is for sure, just like the Atlanta washerwoman strike encouraged other groups to demand better pay and working conditions, the same is happening with different type of workers around the country. You're right, Courtney. Chris Smalls is a good example. Uh, he is an individual who, against all odds, organized about 2,600 workers at a Staten Island, New York, Amazon warehouse into a union. He's an excellent example about how, uh, to, you know, folks at the grassroots level, they can organize and they can win. And just like those newspapers back in the day tried to slam slander the washerwomen, I heard a memo from Amazon's legal department describing Chris Smalls as not smart or articulate. Yes, that leaked memo shows Amazon woefully underestimated Smalls' abilities as an organizer, just like those washerwomen. Uh, what had happened is they had fired Smalls uh, from his warehouse uh, job back in 2020 because he had led a walk out to pressure the company to improve its COVID safety protocols. Now, Amazon says he had been given multiple warnings for violating social distancing guidelines, and that's why they fired him, not because he organized these walkouts. But once he was fired, Smalls was motivated to fight back against the injustice, and he won. Now, just like other workers were inspired by the washerwomen, following Chris Smalls's lead, Amazon employees around the country have been attempting to organize. Also, labor organizing has been sweeping the country as we're seeing first ever unions forming at Starbucks, Apple, Google, Microsoft, REI, and even Trader Joe's. Well, that is wonderful. The great Albert Einstein said, if at first the idea is not absurd, then there is no hope for it. So Aunt Carol, I'm sure the Southern power structure thought a strike by Black washerwomen was absurd, but look what they accomplished. And though unionizing at those big companies sounds absurd, it's actually happening. It is indeed. And I think we're going to see more of it because the economic situation in America is such that labor is not paid as they should be. And we're probably going to see more people uprising and demanding better. Well, that is always good to hear. That brings this episode to a close though. So if you're looking to find where we are in between this episode and the next, or want to catch up on other episodes, visit our website, www.whyaretheysoangry.com. That brings today's episode to a close. We hope you join us next time where we continue providing the answer to the question, why are they so angry? As always, we hope you learn something so you can see it, say it, and confront it. <laughs>